So let's get into the Word today. Um, I want to expand your definition of the phrase, a Savior, today. Um, my title is too easily pleased. I borrowed it, my title from a quote by C.S. Lewis, uh, where he uses the phrase, too easily pleased. Um, I want you to fully appreciate to, to the extent to which Christ's salvation benefits us, to the point that the shepherds would hear, here is a pronouncement of great joy. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the city, town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. And it caused them, they began to act like, um, they began to act like they found a good deal at Neiman Marcus or, or Macy's and to, went and told everybody, right? They acted like they found gasoline for $2 a gallon, you know? That's how excited they, were, they got. And uh, Scripture says in one place, an interesting little verse, I think it's Thessalonians, says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? The word great there means so large, so strong. So I propose to you that only a grasp of this great salvation will leave us with great joy. If we understand our great salvation, we will have great joy. So you, need, you, you, so you need bad news before you have good news. You need to know that this salvation has really accomplished something. The Bible says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So it's accomplished something related to the past, something related to the present, and most importantly, something related to eternity, forever. Here's this quote. Our desires are not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered like an ignorant child who wants to go, making mud pie, go on making mud pies in, the, um, in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. So we'll, we'll return to this thought later in the message this morning. Let's read the text that I quoted to you partially a minute ago. But the angel said to them in Luke chapter 2, verse 10 and 11, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. So this is, we're talking about joy these days. We modern people, we have a lot of misconceptions about joy, and I'll use the word happiness. For most purposes, they're interchangeable words. We have a modern a lot of modern, uh, misconceptions about happiness, uh, none more m misleading than that happiness is supposed to be constant, that we're supposed to always be happy instead of uh, really a, an ebb and flow of happiness, unhappiness, good moods, bad moods. Another misconception we have about happiness is that more money will make me happy. Well, you know, people, there have been a lot of research done on happiness in the last couple of decades, and um, every study I've read comes up with this conclusion that once you have enough money to meet your basic needs, more money doesn't help to make you any happier, that there's a limit. And, of course, we see the results many times uh, very, very wealthy people are some of the most miserable people on the planet. Uh, oftentimes, people become extremely wealthy. They start giving all their money away. 
because uh, in, in fact, there's another research I read uh, about this, this that one of, one of the things that researchers, it's, it's funny, you know, if they would read the Bible, they could save a lot of money. Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of your tax dollars could be saved if they just read the Bible. And they wouldn't have to do, they wouldn't have to do a, a $500,000, million study to find out this is true. But guess what they found out? They found out that people who give gifts are happier than people who receive gifts. Duh. <laughs> really, they found that people who wrap the gifts and put it under the tree get more joy than the person who opens the gifts. You don't believe it, right? You like that's not true. <laughs> okay, the researchers said it and the scripture said it, so I think you're wrong. No, seriously. Uh, another, another thing they found out is making choices. We, we think if we had more options, we'd be happy, but they actually, researchers said that making choices is, is, is exhausting and reduce it. We, we waste our cognitive energy by having too many choices. And I believe that's true. Um, I, I believe our greatest problem is not that we're trying to be happy or have happy experiences, but we're not discovering a reliable foundation upon which to place our be happy experiences and that our ultimate joy is not to be found in merely a better relationship with ourselves. Great joy is to be what the shepherds realized, that great joy is to be a foundation. Great joy is to be as a foundation for, for joy, not a formula. See, we have a modern obsession with how we're feeling and what we're feeling and the claimed right to be lighthearted and serene, inner calm at all times. It's actually remarkable, and at best I can tell, unprecedented in human history that we would have this obsession with feeling a certain way. One of the things that concerns me about the current uh, trend for altering one's gender, one of the things that concerns me about it greatly is because it's based on a feeling of unhappiness. And so people are having these radical surgeries, radical hormone therapy, uh, in order because they don't feel happy in their body. Um, and I, I know I know someone personally. I know someone personally who uh, went to the doctor and reported that they felt uncomfortable in their with their gender. With one appointment, one appointment, no psychological evaluation, put them on cross-sex hormones, and they've been on those cross-sex hormones for about five years. And it does really radical things to one's body to go on hormones that are opposite of the gender you were born in. And now, now is detransitioning. And now is very regretful and actually very angry at the doctors who would give them this uh, therapy with one, with one visit of simply, simply imagine this, you simply tell the doctor, I feel unhappy, and they don't use these exact words, but I feel unhappy in this body. And the doctor says, no problem. I got these ways of giving you a different body. I mean, it's pretty radical. So things happen. I think you're going to you're going to see a lot of lawsuits and a lot of other things as people begin to regret these radical decisions that they're making when they're very, very young. And I'm not I'm not trying to get sociological or political in anything. I'm this is strictly theological. This is strictly I'm concerned 
that we are, are losing our foundation of happiness. We're losing the, 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 the stable foundation of real joy and real happiness. And it, it's, uh, it's um, I mean, I, it's proven if you look at, if you look at uh, the suicide rates and you look at depression rates and you look at how many young people are showing up in emergency rooms saying they're depressed. There's something really wrong right now. There's something really wrong right now. And, 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 and I believe we are trying to build our joy on the wrong foundation. Now, I, I want to I say a couple of things about this, though. I don't believe that the, Jesus is saying to us that we should ignore our feelings and just white-knuckle it through life or adopt an Eastern philosophy version of detachment. Buddhism teaches a philosophy called detachment. That nothing is supposed to make you too happy and nothing is supposed to make you too sad. You become a stoic, I suppose. No, um, as I said last Sunday, God has equipped us with at least five major be happy chemicals, you know, including adrenaline, as adrenaline is, can, can, is not always a be happy chemical, but uh, dopamine and oxytocin and and, uh, and, and several others are, are be happy chemicals that get... God gave you those be happy chemicals because he wanted you to, have, he wanted you to be, be stimulated to happiness apart from your spirituality, apart from whether you love God or you even believe in God. God loves you anyway, whether you love him or not. And so he's equipped you with ability. He's equipped you with tens of thousands of nerve endings that feel joy and comfort and all kinds of good feelings. God has made you like that. Uh, so, so why would he say, no, I, I want you to be detached? No, that's stupid. In your presence, there is fullness of joy at your right hand or pleasures forevermore. Now, the second thing that I would say to you about this is that God is not interested in our happiness because he has big, or, or uninterested, I should say, in our happiness because he has bigger stuff to deal with. We, we used to sing a, I, I love a, a songwriter named Dottie Rambo, wrote some great songs, but she wrote one dumb song. And it goes, uh, I know you're mighty busy in your heaven. You're forming worlds and causing stars to shine. But Lord, if you'll just listen one more time or something like that, and the, the chorus goes, it's me again, Lord. I've got a prayer that needs an answer. It's me again, Lord. I've got a problem that I can't solve. I don't mean to worry you, but here I am facing something. <laughs> That's a dumb song, right? <laughs> no. Um, if there is a God, and I, believe, I, I, I have a lot of evidence there is, he's quite capable of handling, throwing, throwing a few stars out there and dealing with my headache, right? God, it, 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 listen to this quote by Sam Storms. God is most glorified in you when your knowledge and experience of him ignites a forest, forest fire of joy in your heart which consumes all competing pleasures, and he is the preeminent treasure in your life. Nothing on earth. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, the famous Reformed preacher who, who pastored in uh, Northampton, Massachusetts, and later in uh, Windsor Locks, he had that great revival in Windsor Locks, Connecticut, back in the uh, 19th century. He preached a sermon one time, called Nothing on Earth Can Represent the Joys of Heaven. 
And in this sermon, he made a very controversial statement. He said, God created man for nothing else but happiness. He created him that he might only communicate happiness to him. Think about that. Sam Storm said, you are created to reflect the glory of God by experiencing an inexpressible joy. And this is confirmed in the scripture. I wouldn't believe it, but it's confirmed in scripture. In 1 Peter 1, 8, 9, it says, And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with inexpressible joy and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Inexpressible joy. What is great joy then? What is this great joy? Like we differentiated last week, joy from great joy. Joy is that circumstantial and chemical joy that God has gifted every person with the ability to experience in life through, through all the wonderful experiences of life, of beauty and pleasure. But what is great joy? Sam Storm says again, I quote Sam, great joy is deep, durable delight in the splendor and all-sufficiency of God and everything he is for us in Jesus. I like that a lot. I like it so much, I want you to say it with me. Ready? Great joy is deep, durable delight in the splendor and all-sufficiency of God and everything He is for us in Jesus. Now, I can understand something deeply but not find great delight in it. I could take a, a course in auto mechanics and come to understand how engines work, but not have any interest in working on an engine, or not any interest in fooling around with engines. So understanding something doesn't cause it to be a source of joy. I'm convinced many great theologians do not have joy in Jesus. I can believe something deeply, but not find great delight in it. I can, I can really believe, I, 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 can, I can really believe in, in certain, certain planetary, I, I can believe, for instance, that the planets are, are there, and I can even name them all, but find no joy in looking at them, while somebody who knows, who can't even name one single planet may find great delight in laying out under the stars at night and looking at those stars and planets. I can even do something and not find great delight in it. My, my uh, Jason and Mare and Ellie love sushi. They love sushi. One day Ellie said to her father, they, I was going to go to lunch with them. Some, and, and, uh, and, and she wanted to go to, she wanted to go to, P.F. Chang's and eat sushi. And she told her father, she told Jason, she said, tell dad we're going to red heat. Tell pop, I'm sorry. Tell pop we're going to red heat. Let's fool him and take him to P.F. Chang's. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? When I go out with Ellie, I will eat some sushi because it makes her happy. But I don't like it. I don't like things that seem as if they might crawl off the table. (laughs) Give me some barbecue. Give me some fried okra, Gene. Gene and I are from the south. We're south, well, I'm south, more southwest of Memphis, but 
boy, they had some good barbecue in Memphis. <laughs> Shoot. Like, like we used to say, make you slap your mother-in-law. Is my mother-in-law here? <laughs> I don't say that. <laughs> Man, I had some brisket in Houston, Texas a few months ago. Wow. I just, I'm still thinking about it. <laughs> I can't stop thinking about it. <laughs> so you can, you can do something and not, not enjoy it. You can, you can come and sing, sing the worship courses but not have any joy in it. You know one thing I can't do? I can't fool my own soul. I can't fake my own soul. My own soul knows what I find joy in. And my own soul knows when I'm faking it. Jesus intended for me to have a lot of joy in him. That was his num- maybe his number one goal. I don't know. It seems like it. He said in John 15, 11, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Wow. And he didn't even stop there. Yes, your joy will overflow. <laughs> one, thing, one thing about you disciples, you, you're, they're going to they're gonna beat you and all this horrible stuff, but you're going to be unbelievably happy. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Isn't that just crazy? Here's, here's one of the reasons, though. Here's one of the reasons that great salvation produces great joy. Is Great joy is our salvation from the cruelty of false gods. Because you will look to something to give you joy. You will look for, to something to make you happy. You will. You cannot help it. You will look to something to make you feel better. Here's a lengthy quote from Tony Renke's book, The Joy Project, that captures my point here. Simply put, the driving motive in history is the desire for happiness. All sin from slavery to prostitution to racism to terrorism to extortion to the sparks that ignite the world wars, all are driven by desire for happiness apart from God. The greatest hazard we face is not intellectual atheism, denying that God exists, Our most desperate problem is affectional atheism. Refusing to believe. God is the... uh, Refusing to believe... That doesn't have a period after it. Refusing to believe God is the object of our greatest and most enduring joy. This is the heart of foolishness. Psalms 14 says, The fool has said in his heart, There's no God. Here's another excerpt from the book that's kind of lengthy but I believe it's worth reading to you. And it is, I believe it's in your notes in the app, but I don't have, it won't be projected. <clears throat> Even if we don't feel them, this is Tony Renke talking. <clears throat> Even if we don't feel them, the consequences are real. Our idols, an idol is that thing that you reach for to give you joy that replaces God. And it's not wrong to reach for something to give you joy. But when, when it becomes a God replacement, our idols um, uh, misshape us, our souls, like a drug after the facial features of a meth addict. Unlike a drug-ravaged face whose degeneration can be captured by time-lapse photos, we don't see the drastic changes to our souls quite so readily. But this soul distortion afflicts everyone who follows after the pleasures of sin. We are dying sinners in desperate need of a spiritual double bypass surgery, but we spend our pocket change on double cheeseburgers. We get happy again with a momentary food buzz, but the temporary buzz is killing us. Uh, 
Left to ourselves, we are stuck in our total depravity. The centrifugal, centrifugal forces of our affections keep us gazing at ourselves. We turn away from God for our joy and turn toward all we have left, money, sex, power, personal affirmation, Facebook friends, Twitter followers, and Instagram likes. We use these old technologies, and we will use new technologies in the future, to tabulate our approval and then to use those metrics of approval to compare our popularity with others. When we do, we trade authentic glory for residual sludge. It's like drinking mud, and we choke. See, here's a, char a characteristic of evil is that it makes great boast. James chapter 3, verse 5 says, The tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. The characteristic of evil is that it makes great boast. Just do this one thing, you'll feel better. You'll be able to do your job more successfully. You'll only need this one thing, and, and you'll become successful in your career. Uh, if your child is always happy and pleased with you, or just take these pills. I don't know if any of you got out to the theater this week and saw The Redemption of an Icon. Uh, did anybody go see Redemption of an Icon this week? It's, it's the story of Johnny Cash. And uh, uh, I really urge you to go see it. Uh, it was only in the local theaters for three days. Um, but I'm sure it'll be available in different, different platforms. But it's the story of Johnny Cash, uh, journey into drug addiction, and his journey back with Christ. In fact, they give an, they give a, a, an invitation at the end to receive Christ. Uh, it's really, really, really good, really well done, really super well done. But uh, Johnny Cash, you know, became, uh, you know, raised a rural Arkansas farm, and uh, he became um, he became a sensation when he finally made his way into Sam Phillips' studio there in Memphis and recorded. Um, and he became a huge star. I mean, maybe only, maybe only Elvis in those days, in the late 50s, Elvis and Jerry Lee were, were ahead of him in terms of what they would draw, and he eventually passed Jerry Lee, I think. But the, the road was beating him up really bad. I mean, a, a life of an entertainer sounds very exciting, but uh, they have two hours of excitement beyond what we can imagine. Then they have 22 hours of boredom. And that's the life that they live in. They're away from their wives. They're away from their family. He had a wife and four children in Memphis, and he was away from them. And one day, someone handed him two pills and said, here, take these, and you'll feel better. He took them, and sure enough, he had found, he had found God <laughs> with the amphetamines. But they eventually, remember what I said? Evil always makes great boast. Evil says, do this, and you'll be happy. It's what happened to Eve in the Garden of Eden. Eve had the whole garden, and who knows how many, does she have a thousand fruit trees to eat from, or maybe more? She had 10,000 delights. Everywhere she looked was beauty and perfection. And the serpent said, if you really want to have success, if you really want to have it all, eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And it became her obsession. It's all she could think about. 
She couldn't think about the goodness of God. She couldn't think about all the delights in the garden. She couldn't think about everything that was there for her. She couldn't think about the, the, the thousand fruit trees and vegetation that was there for her to, for, to partake of. All she could think about was one thing, and that's what evil will always do to you. It will always captivate you and enslave you. But God will do just the opposite. If you will make Jesus your greatest treasure and God your highest joy, he will open up the world to you. He will not even, he will not even force you to be obsessed with him. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You know, some of you know what I'm talking about. When you get your heart right with God, the sky, the blue sky is bluer. The sunshine is brighter. You love more people. You enjoy more people than you did before. You, 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 enjoy, your, you enjoy your spouse more. I talked to a man this week whose life has been in the grip of alcohol. And that's all he could think about. And, and I, would, I would talk to him quite often. And at first, we, I couldn't figure out. Because he would say, I'm trying to feel God, but I can't feel God. And I told him one day, we're sitting and talking. I said, well, I said, the one thing I've, I've noticed, there have been like three people in my ministry who've told me they could not feel the presence of God even when they tried. And I said, every one of them had an idol. Every one of them, I discovered they had an idol. Because an idol steals all your affections. And you don't have any affections for anyone else. When a person gets heavily into an addiction... They cannot love their wife they cannot, or their husband. They cannot love their children. They cannot love their church. They cannot, love, they cannot enjoy anything. Everything revolves around the next fix. And it, it doesn't have to be drugs, by the way. It can be any, anything. Anything. Any, everybody say anything. It can be anything. Anything that captures your imagination besides Jesus. Jesus is the only one that if he captures your imagination and you make him your greatest treasure, he will open up the whole world to you and the whole world will get better and everything will get better and you'll enjoy more stuff. Your food will taste better. Your, 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 your spouse will look prettier and everything, I'm telling you, your pastor will even be okay when you get right with God. <laughs> You go, oh, that guy, can, he can preach. I don't know. I thought he was terrible. <laughs> I'm telling you, this is, not, this is not psychology. This is reality. This is reality. You get right with God, and you make Jesus your highest treasure. He said, I come that you might have life, and that you might have it more abundantly. This is the most real thing I've ever said in 34 years. This is it. You know, uh, <laughs> I, I collect memes. Uh, 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 and, and I'll put them on Facebook once in a while. But here's a meme I found to make this point. Man, weed ain't addictive. I just smoke it every day. <laughs> I just smoke it every day. And... And spend two-thirds of my paycheck every week because it calms me. <laughs> That's an idol, my friend. That's an idol. I know what you're thinking. Hey, I believe in Jesus, but Jesus doesn't calm my nerves the way weed does, or whatever. You're idol. I don't care. Weed's no worse than anything else. 
or whatever your idol of choice is. And that's correct. Listen to me. Jesus doesn't anesthetize you to life's discomforts. He causes you to think clearly so you can successfully meet life's challenges and fully appreciate all of life's delights. When you love Jesus, you will feel sorrow. You will feel pain. You will feel discomfort. You will feel the angst and the, and the anxiety of the world around you. And people, you will feel the hurt of people around you. And you will, you will feel their sorrows. And you will feel their grief. And you will, you will feel sadness over their waywardness. You will mourn if you follow Jesus. Blessed are those who mourn, he said. There's a one-third of the Psalms or laments. There's a whole book called the Lamentations. And one of the greatest prophets of Israel was the weeping prophet Jeremiah. I do not want a, a God who, who cuts my nerves of feeling pain. And discomfort, even boredom. I don't want a God who will, who will perform some sort of frontal lobotomy on me so I cannot feel the angst and pain and difficulties of life. I want to feel every bit of it. But I want a God who can also imbue me with courage and power, overcoming that which threatens me, and that makes me a better person. And that makes me more useful to the world around me when I'm able to fight the demons that are released, re released into my life and I'm able to meet them in the power of Jesus. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Scottish pastor and uh, uh, poet, uh, he was one of the inspirations actually for C.S. Lewis, was, gave this, this quote, and I, th I think it makes the point, and it's, I think it's very profound, personally. But he said, man finds it hard to get what he wants because he does not want the best. God finds it hard to give because he would give the best and man will not take it. Today, in the town of David, a Savior is born. And that got those guys really excited. Now let me explain why they got so excited. They got excited about salvation. But when they heard the word salvation, they did not hear what you hear and what I hear when I heard the word salvation. They did not hear what you hear. When I say, if you've been around church for a while, uh, I've used the term saved or salvation. Here's what you hear. You hear I accept Jesus as my personal Savior, and uh, when I die, I go to heaven. I forg I'm forgiven of all my sins, and so I don't go to hell, I go to heaven. Okay? I believe all that, by the way. I, I really do. I really believe all that. That's all in the Bible. Especially reiterated in the epistles and, and revelation that Paul had of, gra of grace. And, and, and they, they had a personal uh, uh, atonement as well. People would have, offer sacrifices for the, their sins. But when it came to dealing with sin in the Jewish culture, it was more about the community. They would stone an adulterer because they didn't want adultery spreading through their community. It was about the nation. When they heard salvation, even, even back over there in Matthew 121, when Mary was told uh, his name will be called Emmanuel, he will save his people from their sins. She did not, she wasn't thinking about uh, 
oh, oh, God will forgive people of lust, or God will forgive me, I worry a lot, and God will forgive me of worry, so I won't go to hell for having no faith and, and worrying a lot. No, they were not thinking about that. That wasn't their primary thought. Their primary thought was Israel, their beloved Israel, was under the boot of Roman oppression, under the corruption of corrupt temple leadership, and they were under the judgment of God because they had been unfaithful to God, and they knew it. They knew as a nation that they had been unfaithful to God, and they had not worshipped Him with all of their heart, soul, mind, body, and strength as the Scripture had told them and the law of Moses had told them. They knew that they had rejected the reign of God and they were, were overjoyed because this was the promise that the Messiah would come and he would restore Israel back to the glory of King David's time. That's the primary thought that they had. Now, we could say that they perhaps did not properly and completely understand personal salvation because they were so focused on national salvation. And you might be right. I would say that we also have a deficit. We who are focused on good, good uh, um, uh, liberal enlightenment, uh, uh, personal selfishness. <laughs> I can't, that's not a very eloquent way to say that, but you know what I mean. The, our deficit is we don't realize that salvation is also saving not only the nation, but the world. That salvation is more than, more than, it's a, it's, it is this, it is, it is my salvation from eternal damnation, but it's more than that. It's salvation of the whole world from eternal damnation. Jesus has become King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus has become the preeminent Savior, not only of my personal life and not only of my little soul that doesn't want doesn't to be damned forever in outer darkness. He has not only become that. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Jesus came to liberate the entire planet from darkness. Jesus came to liberate eternally from darkness. Jesus is, going, Jesus is our Savior. Jesus invented a new political party. It's the party of Jesus. It's not, it's not the donkey or the elephant. It's the lamb. It's the party of Jesus. And the party of Jesus, I'm, I'm telling you something, there's not going to be any elections for the party of Jesus because Jesus elected himself. The Father God elected him and put him on the throne and he's on the throne today. He's going to reign forever and he's going to save the world from its sins. Hallelujah. Now, I'm not a universalist. I'm not saying that. I'm not a universalist. I believe every person must acknowledge the lordship of Christ. But, but brothers and sisters, the Bible says that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess 
that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. What are we doing down here at Bethany Community Church? We are practicing for eternity. What are we doing down here? We are showing the world what they are going to be doing for what they're going to be doing ultimately, some of them to their salvation, some to their damnation, and that's biblical, but I won't get into it right now. There's some to their salvation, some to their damnation. But nevertheless, we are we are demonstrating for them what it's like to live under the rule and reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the book of Revelation says that the time will come when the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and His Christ. Now if you grasp all of that, you're going to have great joy. If you just like have half of it, you're going to maybe have half joy. But if you will grasp all that, the Bible says, and I love this, Jesus came to save to the uttermost. Jesus came to save your soul He came to save your money. He came to save your marriage. He came to save your life. And He came to save the politics of the world. He's going to save it all. He's going to redeem it all. He's going to redeem the whole world. The whole world is going to be redeemed from the the curse of Adam. The whole world is going to be redeemed from the curse of Adam by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, What, what, um, now just what this Jewish political savior means for you and how you should think about social and political activism, I'm going to leave that for you to wrestle with. I can only do more harm than good by throwing out some soundbite guidance at the end of a sermon about something so complicated as political activism. I think I would wrap it up this way. In the words of a a hit song that was Song of the Year 1966. And it was written, uh, the lyricist who wrote it was, it, it pictures a guy who didn't appreciate his girl. And she walks out on him. And so he begins to sing. There goes my only possession. There goes the one of my dreams. There goes my everything. That's the secret to great joy. When Jesus becomes your everything. And anything short of that will leave you short of joy great joy. Anything short of Jesus being your everything. But if Jesus becomes your everything, you will have, I will promise you, great joy when he becomes your greatest treasure, your greatest wisdom, your greatest source of redemption, your greatest hope. When your greatest hope, your greatest source of redemption is in Jesus, you cannot help but be happy. Now, you have, uh, I believe everyone has communion elements, or if you don't have them yet, if someone could bring me some elements, I would appreciate it.
this, these communion elements are very important because they, they point us to, you know, think of the cross. The cross looks like this, right? And uh, you have the horizontal, no, vertical, sorry, vertical. Yeah, get my directions right. You have the vertical and you have the horizontal. The horizontal uh, arm of the cro- arms of the cross point backward and they point forward. That's very important. It's very important because this communion we're about to partake of points to your past and it points to God's past. Your past, every one of us, we have sin in our past. We have rebellion in our past. We have disobedience in our past. But we also, if we go back far enough, we have Jesus and the cross in our past. The other arm of the cross points that way to eternity. And that points to that, points to that moment in, in the future when we sit with Jesus personally and we partake. He said, I won't drink of this cup of the vine with you again until I drink it new with you in my kingdom. I believe the first thing we're going to do with Jesus is have communion. The vertical arm of the cross means that you can have eternity in your heart now. And you can have a relationship with a living God now if you will receive him. And if you've got this communion element in your hands and you've never received Christ, you've never said he is King of kings and Lord of lords, this is a good time to do that. And all you've got to do is just say those words. I receive you as King of kings and Lord of lords. Or maybe you have just wandered away in your commitment to Christ. It would be a good time to renew that, wouldn't it? Let's get ready to partake of the body of Christ. Father, I lift up this symbol of your body that was walked on earth, was a real human being with joys, sorrows, victories, and defeats. But you took all that you were to the cross and you were broken. You were broken publicly. Your image was broken. Politically, you were broken. Emotionally, you were broken. In every way, you were broken. And I receive and celebrate your brokenness now. In Jesus' name, let's protect. Now, Lord, I lift up your precious, precious blood. This is royal blood. This is the blood of a king that was poured out for me on the cross. And wherever the blood landed, love grew. And so when I look down at this cup, I don't see my sin anymore. I see love. I see love for me like no one in the world has for me. And I am, as many of us in this room, we're blessed to be loved. But this love is superior. So I receive it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, Pete, come give me a, an A on the guitar. We're going to close with a song. Let's stand. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, you're my greatest joy today. And I know I 
I, I get off of that commitment once in a while, God. But you always bring me back because the things of the world never satisfy and they never give me what they promise. Even, even the good things that I enjoy and that are okay, they still don't, they don't give me total peace. Let's sing joy to the world. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her King. Stop right there. I want you to sing that line again. I want you to think about earth receiving her King. I know a lot of you are worried about political matters right now. How can you not help but be? It's ubiquitous. It's in our face all the time. No matter which side you're on or you're in the middle, you're a little right, little left, way right, way left, way center, whatever you are. Jesus is your king. Jesus is the king of the earth. Well, joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing and heaven and nature sing and heaven and heaven and nature sing. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.